So in holistic awareness, holistic presentation, there's a said whichever bit um, you, you say it's always held, you have to hold it balanced against other aspects, structure, dynamics, external practices, you could say so-called external practices, ethics, sila, parami, internal practices, enlightenment factors, meditation, conscience and concern, sensitivity, <coughs> so on. So, just, uh, and the flow between the two, how they fit, how our, our inner aspirations fit our external commitments, mm. you know, how our spiritual lives fit our social lives, how our essential emptiness fits our apparent self-structure. You need both. We need to have an identity and a place and a position and a body and also recognize the them this is there's something softer less less uh, fixed uh, that's alive that needs to be nurtured within that and people can go from you know one one side to another one extreme to another so so you get the you know consumer materialist thing which is all external but the internal uh that spirit, faith, aspiration, so forth. Uh, how does that? How does that fit? How does that work out? How does that find support? How is that structured into our lives? This is always a, one of the, many questions come down to this this basic question: How do I? Meditate in daily life. How do I live a, a dhammic life in a world of, of uh, you know, jobs, consumerism, requirements, and so forth? And that's uh, it's always fitting the two together. Itself is a is a practice that, if you if you keep that in mind, actually can uh, refresh both the external. Needs the internal, the internal needs the external. So just to kind of touch in briefly with some reference points. The external, on one level, is our society. The internal is our culture. You know, the external is our society. That is our uh, governance, um, the way our jobs and so forth. Internal is our culture, our sense of generosity, sharing. What's really, what's really valuable, what's really important in life. So we're not just living like empty automatons. Mm. Similarly, if our culture, our Dharma culture, doesn't, doesn't fit in, doesn't find its way of moulding our society, then it tends to become a kind of a hobby and lose some of its validity because we can't quite walk it. We've got the themes, but we can't quite walk it. We can't quite live it. So one of the questions that come up with often in, in, in Dhamma circles is how does uh, how does meditation not just become another accessory 
you know, to uh, to a middle class life, you know. You go, you got your this and that and this and that, and you clip the meditation bit inside it, like having a spa or something like that. You can go to. <laughs> what happened with the old, uh, you know, some of the movements of the sixties and seventies? as kind of sudden influx of Eastern mysticism and ideas, and it sort of just turned into fashion, uh, music industry, money, and kind of went dried out, dried up. The internal, the external is our physical form, physical body, getting that, the health, the structuring, the sitting, the posture. The internal is the the breathing, the move, the walking, how you how you maintain your your midline, your inner core, your vitality within the bodily form when you meditate. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not just uh, all structure like sitting bolt upright and having a perfect posture and just doing meditation as a series of structures. The anapana, your whatever you call it, your vipassana, your Da, 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 walking backwards and forwards but there's also the inner core of that what is, where is the movement towards real meeting yourself towards aspiration towards um, moment by moment awareness with that but if you don't have an outer structure it tends to just the inner qualities tend to evaporate and become um, they don't have the strength so it's not just letting your mind do whatever it wants to do yeah. and accepting it. <laughs> it's not quite that. You know, you put it within certain boundaries of attention and uh, uh, direction and in- intentionality. There's intentionality there, attention, and then you, ex- you meet what arises and accept that. It's not just having acceptance before you meet the things. You know, otherwise, if you don't have that certain sense of a kind of an edge where you're, you're, you know, you're meeting stuff, you're getting the resistances, the tangles, the flutters, then you're not really unraveling anything. So external structure, internal dynamics. External structure is our ethics sense of ethics, uh, what we do, what we don't do. Internal quality of that is intentionality, conscience and concern, sensitivity, ethical awareness, am I being, you know, uh, know, domineering or inattentive, so forth. Am I being righteous about my ethical standards? Am I kind of tub-thumping about my values? Or is that held with an inner quality of sensitivity, concern, respect for others. So ethics, which has no inner quality, becomes righteousness and dogmatism. But if you don't have standards, then it just becomes kind of fuzzy, um, you know, sensitivity, but there's no, there's no uh, lines about what to be sensitive about. It, just, it loses itself.
external, we have our relationships with other people. Internally, we contemplate what other people mean to us. So we externally have conventional relationships, we have a conventional identity. For example, I'm a, I'm a monk externally. And then internally, what does that mean? How is that held? Is it just an authority structure, a power structure? What, what are the projections that this form can create? What can it create in my mind? Can it create a sense of separateness or superiority or something like that? And you look at the internal qualities of what is this, you know, what is this about? Is it trying to make some claim or be separate or is it just the convention held clearly? But the internal quality is humane, gentle, receptive. Mm. So you can contemplate these things because it can go either way. You can tend to, you know, you can ballot tip either way. So it's all, and it's all, remember, it's all as it's holographic, every piece. Within that has also got its internal and external. So if we come down to mindfulness of breathing, the external of that is the sensations of the breath, the air breath moving through the body, the sensations of that, making sure that becomes long and steady, contemplating just the sensation track. Yeah. And then the internal quality of the breathing is we call it the chi or the vitality, the subtle internal aspect of breathing which is a vitality that can then spread through the whole body and refresh the mind mm. so as you meditate you bring you got to get the two you start probably start with the external so that you can feel the entire breath mm. in the body isn't that helps to check your posture posture really should be that which supports the entire breath that's that's really the important point of it yeah. What is it that helps your abdomen to loosen, solar plexus to open up, your chest to open, throat to open? Yeah. And you use use the breathing to support your posture, to attune your posture. Because if it's too forced, if your posture is too forced, your breathing won't relax. If your posture hasn't got enough firmness in it, your breathing also goes stale and 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 loses vitality so the, when you, when you uh, cultivate meditation and the breath body you know the breathing becomes almost the inner body that holds you up and the out, outer form of the body is just the casing around that uh, so when you uh, cultivate uh, anapana remember to you know keep the two in mind if it's too, if it's all too much internal then you can find yourself swamped with energies that you don't have any means of channeling so sometimes it can be the case that just going to the energies of the breathing we get a lot of energy pushing up or exciting you get fizzy uh, get a lot of what's called piti rapture, where the mind sort of just goes off into energy and gets mesmerized by it, and it builds up, builds up. You get the lights, you know, well, this is, you know, the kundalini is getting released, the chakras are opening, the meridians are popping. <laughs> 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 but, 
but this is doing me any good. Uh, you know, it feels like it because energy itself is quite attractive. It's lively. It's mesmerizing. It's quite interesting. And so we just contemplate, you know, the tendency to just tip over into into the internal breathing, and then if you, it's becoming like that, if you're getting uh, heightened, very heightened sense, overcharged, or energies are, mo- then you need to ground the energy of the, of the breathing in the external form of the breathing, which is sense of move, you know, the physical body, breathing into your body. Mm. Material brilliant to breathe down the body into the ground, learning to breathe, rising through the body. Find places in your body where your breathing will, will feel comfortable and moderate, so it's not getting heightened and it's not getting flaccid or stagnant. You can sweep it around, brightening your breath. Breath. Uh, if it's bright, for me, generally brightening the breath is coming up into the upper body. Uh, the, the extreme is is the forehead, you know, bet- between the eyes. You know, it gets very bright there, uh, but it can. Uh, so if it's if it's dull or stagnant in the morning, the tendency is to lift to this place. So you track the sensation of the breath as it comes up, just touches the top. You know, there's something behind the bridge of the nose. You can feel something tingling there. This is the brightening of the breath, and you can breathe through the head. Sometimes that's useful if you if you get to it, um, because it certainly uh, helps to clear out the dullness, the fogginess. But then it also can get a little bit too uh, too much lift in it. If you, so then you can ground it, coming down the body, the solar plexus, the abdominal cavity, and even the abdominal floor, breathing down, breathing down. If it gets too high as well as you breathe, widening out through the hands, so at the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet. You know, feeling it coming down there. Going to the form of the body. The subtle form of the body, the sense of having a periphery back, a width. You don't have to go into every physical detail, but the overall sense of, you know, the width of the body, the height of the body, what that, what that is sensed as, and how we can keep that, that frame in mind. And this does help to getting a sense of the external form uh, and then letting the internal qualities fill that and it's this fitting these two together is the skill of, of samadhi, or one of the skills of samadhi, you know, in this bodily sense. So the breath isn't, the energy is not overcooking, nor is it cramped, it's not restricted, um, it's not stagnating, it's not compressed, but it's also not, you're not losing your ground with it. So you train it, like training a an animal training a creature that you love but needs some training, containing it, containing it, lifting it, brightening it, containing it. You know when to energize the mind, when to rest the mind, when to pull it back, when to send it forward, when to you know when to just step back, contemplate it. This is this. And when it 
is this, when it is settled, then what occurs is, a, is, a, is the balancing quality of samadhi where things seem just stable but they're not frozen. There's, a, there's a, like an emptying because it's as if the energies have found their level. They're completed, they're not excited, they're not revving up, but they're not withheld. And there's this, you find the point where things seem just balanced and you stay there and you subtly tune to that sense of balance which is the quality of happiness and composure to it and resting in there deepening in there find the stillness in that the stillness so the first you might say the first inclinations in, in, in meditation or you know, as we meditate rather than you know, do the preparatory work for it is to find the whole whole of the form. You know, it's the walking form, the sitting form, breathing form, the wholeness of that, the complete inhalation, exhalation, which feels it's moving its own pace, it's not compressed, it's not struggling. The form has established itself. Then how does it get more comfortable? Which is attitudinal. It's about volition, it's about how much pressure we put on it. We're listening, we're attentive, but we're not pushing it. We're not pushing it, but we're not kind of laid back about it. It's this, so it's quality of intention and attention. You're attentive without being hyper or rigid or, you know, sort of clamping it, holding the bird, holding the bird carefully with both hands, full, fully attentive. How does it get more comfortable, uh, more confident, more assured? This you have to find for yourself. But that's the sign, more comfortable. Second sign is how does, how does it get more still? First of all, make it comfortable before you make it still. It's not the idea is not you go into meditation and make everything still. You go into meditation and you work, you massage, you mold, you flex, you attempt this, you try that, you investigate, you release, you step back, you ask questions, you ponder, you consider. I mean that that's a lot, isn't it? But I'm not it's not that speed. <laughs> but these are the kind of things that you <laughs> you do. I mean that sounds like one breath, you do the whole lot, but <laughs> in the course <laughs> the course of, of a day you might oh, I think I need to investigate this a little more or now's the time just to be a bit more don't know about it and let it come to me now's the time to step back and let it let it find its own growth let the bread rise um, you know you've got it in the oven you've got to give it time now's the time to just heat it a little or make it more physical in the body and so you're moulding the craft, the moulding. Yeah, it's a subtle work. And work of joy. Because you're doing something beautiful. Uh, and it's lovely to do something beautiful. But the... As it's working, then the inclination is how does this get more still... So there's less of me in it, less of me 
in it as of me putting my thumbprints on it as claiming of it as you get more still how does the attitude get more still more towards equanimity that's that's the direction as it is becoming more contented and more still within all of that within that gradual kind of meet correct meeting and correct balancing insight can start to occur around realizing some of the unnecessary assumptions we make about permanence about structure about getting somewhere about getting nowhere and releasing these underlying proclivities for things about getting somewhere got to get somewhere you feel the feeling of excitement and pushing no just relax that just come back if you think it's about getting nowhere getting nowhere what does that feel like it feels a bit defeated and, and given up let's see if we can say yes there's something more beautiful that can occur if I listen more deeply so just the rising of a attitudinal effort it's not a, not the effort of the will but it's an effort of a subtle kind of intentionality the intentionality to listen in more clearly more specifically one of the theme, one of the uh, drawbacks of meditation is its very sense of the repeated this is what gives it its calming the repetition one breath this breath that breath day in day out here we are again sitting again it gives it its steadying and calming also gives it its monotony and then you know, monotony we see one breath you see them all <laughs> You know, either literally fall asleep, which, uh, or go into this. Well, here we are. You know, um, you know, slightly bored with it all. So when it's like this, you go for what's the specific quality of this breath, which is like no other breath that's ever been. Because <laughs> holistically, it is. You've never been quite at that energy, quite at that mind state, quite that sensation, quite that coolness or warmth never exactly that there's been those elements but this particular mix is always just unique what is it about this just you know uniqueness of this one even to just if you can't find what is unique at least to have the attitude that it is you know so you're listening up to it you might notice oh it just it's a little bit faster or it's a certain palpitation behind it or my attitude so you look at the whole thing holistically not just the breathing, but the watching of the breathing, the attitudes around it, the energies around it. So we keep that sense of everything is just specifically so, specifically so, and it's never going to be that way again. There's, there's the freshness, there's the brightness with that. It's very much the same with the walking meditation. You do walking, you start off with a form, how to stand, how to get a correct walk that begins from the hip. Perhaps begins even with the intention to walk. You stand and you, you're standing there and then you're going to walk. You feel something go, okay, you know, you, the, the signal starts firing. The body, you know, red, readies up to walk. You know, so if that sense of a slight activation of the body's system, you feel that sense. Feel that, pausing to feel all that, pausing. Okay, so the pause is an important part of any activation 
to actually, before we act, we pause to, to really let the activation arise fully. We don't go off half-cocked. We're not rushing out before we've got our feet on, as it were. <laughs> you know, sometimes people rush out and they haven't got their feet on yet. That's because feet are becoming redundant. Wheels, you use wheels now instead of feet. <laughs> but how to, to really get your body there before you, you move it? Is it all there? Right, lifting, moving. Okay. And then it begins, say, from the hip, runs down the leg, the sense of shifting weight from one side to the other to take the weight on one leg and then the other can rock forward, swinging forward from the pelvis. So it's the back, the pelvis, the hip. And then your foot comes down and you've you really got to get the foot to rest on the ground, touch the ground and comfortably settle on the ground before the next one lifts. It's not really a drawn out process, but it's a certain measuredness to it, as if you're walking on unsteady ground. You know, so that foot, as it touches the ground, is intelligent. It's not just a dead lump on the end of a leg. It feels the ground and you feel the weight of the body coming onto that. The knees slightly bend because it's receiving that pressure and then the other leg can move. This is a, so you get the breathe, you're walking the outer form of it. You work on that. The inner form of it, finding that internal axis as you walk. So there's a sense of balance as if internally nothing's moving. Everything is moving around this internal center. Um, and so then we can, as you cultivate that, then this is very useful because most of the time when we walk around in our world, we're not walking the straight line and then turning back again. You get locked up for that kind of thing. You know, you think people think you're prowling or stalking somebody. <laughs> so most of us kind of moving around in, you know, wavy lines and, stopping here and there and pausing, sitting down and getting up and moving in another direction. So how to maintain that internal axis, that internal spindle while you're walking is because you learn, you can do walking meditation, just learning to walk around with the eyes open, noticing sights, feeling temperature, feeling pressures, aware of the presence of other bodies and people moving around and you, you, don't, you don't go out, nor do you go in. You don't retract, you're not kind of eyes closed, but there's a, just a moving back from the sense contact to the internal presence. Yeah. And this is very helpful because we live in a world where sooner or later that internal quality has to meet the external, which in the everyday world has got a huge amount of pull and energies and pressures in it. And so we easily get sucked out into it, or we clam up, you know, trying to protect ourselves from it. But how to see it as there, so it doesn't become here, that it doesn't invade. Sense restraint, it's called, simple word, sense restraint. Soft gaze, yeah. you're aware, but you're not going out to it. This is something you can cultivate on a retreat, because you've got... The external stuff's got not much pull in it around here. External form, internal form, how the two can support each other. If you're around like that, then you're going to find that the external form of your life 
becomes a lot more balanced because you're not just getting thrown by external sights and sounds and pressures and demands and so forth. So you, but you're aware of it. There's a possibility that something you do actually want to engage with and you can come forward into that. When you come forward into it, it's like the complete yes to that. You come forward into it with heart, with mind, with almost an embodied way. So we can crystallize onto specific things we need to see, do, act, that, and then soften, relax, and something else. You know, just that movement from specific engagement to a specific thing with full purpose and intention to softening, to disengage, withdrawal, overall gestalt awareness, and then to the next specific Mm-hmm. You know, so this this flowing ability to flow and most of us are going to need some time when we can just come back sit still turn off the external sense contact so we can replenish the the uh, inner energy because so you get some time to rest in that rest in yourself making that inner quality, a place of rest rather than a place of struggling to control it and get it together. Now this will certainly become easier in line with things like sense restraint, um, letting go, renunciation, uh, ethics, uh, wise attention, not getting involved with things you don't need to get involved with because then all the energetic and emotional tides of the world are just not sweeping into you willy-nilly. You know. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? How much do you want in? Can you just be aware of it as, uh uh-huh, there's that, Uh uh-huh. You know, you know it, but you're not, you know, you're in that balance of restraint, so you can know it, that's that. It's not that you're living blinkered, but there's a. What do you really want to focus on and engage in? Because it's this confused openness, which is not really a, a willing, conscious, open, protected, steady openness, but just a, a kind of passivity. We just get flooded by everything, washed over by everything. And then they've got all these tides and energies and perturbances and vortexes dumped into your system. <laughs> and then when you, so the chance when you do come inside, it's just this kind of giddy mess. And you think, oh, what do you do with that? You go out again because it's too, you know, it's too much of a mess in here. So, so we go out. Yeah? And that's how that cycle perpetuates itself. The more you go out, the more messy it gets within. So the more you have to go out and so on and so on and so on. Certainly helps to be, if you're going to go out to go out to somewhere like peaceful natural surroundings, just to let the green and the breathing and the vitality of, of the natural world refresh you. It's, it's kind of, this is basic health, isn't it? Walking, take a walk to work or walk rather than just jump into your steel cage and into the road rage flood external, internal the balancing 
two uh, very important factors that the Buddha recommended in our, in our uh, cultivation. So we've mentioned some of them. And um, I'll touch on this again. The two, so there are two principal uh, factors that are essential. One is uh, wise or deep attention, Yoni So Manasikara. And the other is Kalyanamita, the spiritual friend. The spiritual friend, spiritual friendship is that which supervises, you might say, the external domain. And wise attention is that which supervises the internal domain. Kalyanamita. Having Kalyanamita, remembering Kalyanamita, and being a Kalyanamita, being the lovely friend, or the admirable friend, or the generous friend, or however you want to call it, what you want to put in the word Kalyana, the beautiful, the Dhammic friend, the Dhammic companion, mm-hmm. that which is helping to supervise the external domain for us. Very Buddha is the whole of the holy life. Because in a way, <coughs> the external friendship, not just the person, but the relational feel, the relational sense with that, the person, but not just as a not just as an object of somebody else, but you know the person, and then the kind of field of inspiration and reflection that they help to re- to generate. You know, it's what they mean to you that counts. Not just you know, she's a great teacher or whatever, but she brings up this in me. She brings up a sense of encouragement in me. Now you can have people who are very lucid, maybe wonderful, but they're not bringing it up for you. you know? Still, it's, it's good to even have people you can admire or respect, but then the, what you're looking for, ideally, is that which really encourages your enlightenment factors, encourages your practice, so that it becomes internalized. Then, of course, the external catalyzes replenishes, rejuvenates the internal. So Kalyanamita is not exactly a teacher, you know, not quite a teacher. It's what the what a teacher or a spiritual friend can do to you. In a skillful way, let's say. Because <laughs> the problem is if you just leave it as all those those qualities are in the teacher, well then what happens when she goes, you know? Or she has a bad day, or she's not available, you know? Then you, you know, or all that she has some flaws or something like that. Or, you know, human needs. So as a teacher myself, you know, it's that thing, is it all right? You know, talk to somebody, I really need to go to the loo. But you don't want to feel you're rejecting anybody, or <laughs> 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 well, they're not important to you. But you, you know, this this interview can't really be sustained in a profitable way unless I <laughs> <laughs> tend to my internal needs. <laughs> they say, "Well, you know, he wasn't there for me." <laughs> <laughs> so it's not. It's you know, the, the teacher as a, as a human being. Is that you know, and it, so you've got to kind of get the sense of being aware of the transference, the way we can expect the teacher to be all that rather than to catalyze that in us. Uh, remember, 
story with Ajahn Charles. The monk was telling me he had a um, they were living in the monastery and he had this difficult relationship with this other monk for certain reasons. This other guy didn't seem to be helping out, cooperating. You know, he was always doing his own thing. And so this, uh, this friend of mine was getting more and more angry and irritated with this monk because he wouldn't, didn't do this, he didn't clean up, he didn't look after this, he didn't do that. So the other monks having to do all the work. So he's getting really angry. He's walking around feeling angry and fed up. And so and so, yeah. We're supposed to be here cooperating. This is what the name of the life. We're training ourselves. We're not here to get selfish ego trip. We're here to train ourselves. Community awareness, mindfulness. Getting annoyed about that. Really grumpy and pissed and fed up. You know, well, you know, the kind of people you have in this. He's walking along and sees Ajahn Chah. And he says, oh, lovely Ajahn Chah. Lights up. Ajahn Chah, how are you today? Oh, lovely, fine Ajahn Chah. You know, feels very happy. And so he goes round to Ajahn Chah's cootie in the evenings, massaging his feet, which is a kind of lovely, intimate um, thing that gesture that occurs. People do. It's a kind of nice bonding experience. And he's sitting, feeling really happy, massaging Ajahn Chah's feet. He's closing his eyes, massaging his foot. And he suddenly feels his foot crashing into his chest, <laughs> knocking him over. <laughs> he looks up, and Ajahn Chah says, "Look." When somebody's unhappy, miserable to you, you get miserable. When somebody's pleasant to you, you get pleasant. Don't get caught up with what people do and say. <laughs> and <they> go, oh. <laughs> so that's the Kalyanamita. <laughs> yeah. it's, not always, uh, it's not always soft, is it? Sometimes it's just that boot. Say. <laughs> You know, don't get caught up. Don't get attached. Don't. With uh, the good and the bad of other people. Find your own centre. Come back to your own centre. Other people are wretched and unpleasant. Stay centred. Other people are lovely and admirable. Stay centred. You know, don't lose your centre. As uh, Jack Cornfield would uh, say about Ajahn Chah, sometimes you see... Ajahn Chah's kind of laid back or relaxing or having a cigarette. He used to, one time he used to smoke cigarettes. I think it was some way in which, when they didn't have medicines in the old days in northeast Thailand, there was no painkillers, no aspirins, no medicines. So anything you could do if you had malaria was smoke a cigarette. So they, <laughs> <laughs> and they said this kind of village tobacco, the village people would make tobacco and offer them this thing, they'd light up. It's something to kill the pain. So they all got a bit hooked on it. Uh, <laughs> eventually they put down this thing like, everybody's got to quit smoking. Everybody's quit smoking. Everybody's got to quit smoking. This is this disgusting, filthy habit of quit smoking. So this great order comes down from you know, on high. Smoking is defilement, killer, so everybody's got to stop smoking. So, and somebody's noticed these little wisps of smoke coming out of that insurance <laughs> <laughs> So Jack say, Jack Caulfield, when he was a monk, he's saying, you know, well, you know, you seem to talk a lot. You recommend solitude, but you're always talking. You're going around chatting with the workers. You're not, you seem to be very involved and, you know, this, that, and the other. And Charles says, oh, good, good, good. He says, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you know, you won't find a Buddha outside of yourself. Stop looking at me. <laughs> 
or worse to that effect. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you know, take responsibility. That's a Kalyanamita. It's not, you know, sometimes it's soft. There's another uh, little story of this uh, monk, you know, young monk living in, in a nearby monastery to Wat Bapong is full of all these doubts about Samatha and Vipassana, whether being a monk was just archaic, stuck away in sweaty old monastery in northeast Thailand, maybe she's more engaged with the world, uh, the various things of this nature, you know, the way that we all do. Wherever you are, it's always should we do something else. If you're a lay person, should you be a monk? If you're a monk, should you be a lay person? <laughs> Which is <laughs> these kind of things. And if you're doing samatha, should you do more vipassana? And da, 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 da. How much metta should you do? So it's got all this head full of stuff. You know. mm-hmm. you know, I've got to sort this out. So it goes rushing over to, it's about 10 miles to Ajahn Chah's monastery. So he walks the whole way, gets there sweating in the middle of the afternoon. Ajahn Chah's outside his cootie sweeping, sweeping with a broom, sweeping, 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 sweeping. So, the monk, oh, you know, so Ajahn Chah looks at him and throws him a broom. Well, uh, working's better than working's better than talking. Throws him a broom. Okay, so he's sweeping, 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 both sweeping around. And you think, well, so the sun's going down. I've got to walk ten miles back. Oh well. Uh, put you know finds a place to put the broom. Goes to take leave of Ajahn Chah. And as he goes to take leave, Ajahn Chah puts his hands on his shoulders, looks in the eyes, and says, "Look, whatever you're doing, just be with that." and the the whole complexities of the doubt body just dissolving timing that's another bit of the Kalyanamita the right time the right time and it's that which essentially asks something of us asks us to come back to our own resource you know, you know, you know what you're doing. You've got to know what you're doing. <laughs> Come back to your own resource, and that's not that's kindly, that's encouraging. And there's all sorts of information times, and so uh, then, you know, you can do it. You can do it. Find your center. You can do it. It's giving us back our strength. Nobody else can give us freedom. You know? We can be enthused, catalyzed, informed, but then eventually we've got to... So when you're true, uh, getting the teaching, true, true gratitude is to develop your yonisomunisikara, your own wise attention, your own way of moderating. So that's how you internalize the teacher, saying, you know, I'm going, I don't see why I should do this, I'm following this. Don't be such a selfish pig, Suchito. Sit up straight. <laughs> you know, it's all so much. I've been doing this 30 odd years. Look, there's no past, there's no future. Just meet the feeling of agitation as it arises. Okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Something that your own, say, so you get your attention, attend rather than just proliferate. When it's painful, when it's un- uncomfortable, it's painful, it's uncomfortable. But then, you know, 
wake up to that. This is what it's like. This is how it is for beings, for all human beings. Take your share. Be responsible. Hold your piece of that of that paradigm with compassion, with generosity. Just as we ask and others can do that for us. You know? The Buddha never gave up on anybody. The great teachers never give up anybody. It's our duty not to give up on ourselves. You know? And to challenge these defeatist programs that Mara, the chief of delusion, sets going for us. You can do it, but you can only probably really do it for just this moment when you find the balance and then it switches over. That's the way it is. But there can be that balance, even for a moment, is already, you know, repelling the host of conviction and compulsion. And you go over and you just know which way you're going. And so wherever you're going, the recognition of that, wherever you're tipping over, the recognition of that, the pausing in that, the stepping back in that, the sympathy with that, you'll swing back to center. Wherever you've gone off, wherever you've gone, it's not that far away. Just the, the recognition of it, the simple name of it, the handle on it, you know, the energy, the feeling of the energy, the, whatever handle you can put on it, you know, whatever name you can give it, call it Belinda if you like, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not, not judgmental, it's just there's Belinda again or Horace, you know, whichever way it tips. Feel who you are in that, you know, compacted, contracted, gloomy, you know, whatever. You know. Just know that form, then widening, softening. This is not self. It's a vortex. Widening, softening, until you touch the moment of sympathy. Of Oh, there's that. Oh, listen to that. And then you'll find yourself coming back into balance. So, you know, the external teacher, the internal teacher. And so often we need to keep checking in with the external teacher, the external Kalyanamita, to just keep me sure that we're still maintaining alignment. Just like when you're walking up and down, you're really checking in with your bodily balance. And the timing and the convention, which one is practicing. Being a Kalyanamita is one way of, of checking in with it. <laughs> yeah. Ajahn Chah made one monk the abbot of a monastery just to help him pull himself together. Because <laughs> you've got to take responsibility for other people. You can't be so self-obsessive and self-pitying and lost in yourself. You know, you've got to wise up and be that. Kalyanamita. It wasn't me, incidentally. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, so then learning to, to be that, the one who can hold the balance, hold the listening for, for another. To just be that, which is not fixing or changing, but how's that for you? And when, I, when, he, when you say that, you feel that, 
seems like this to me or it's feeling like this to me just that simple mirroring Kalyanamita and we don't give up on each other And uh, when the Buddha talked of the Kalyanamita, he said someone who enters this field, and I think it, certainly it's other people, but I think there's also an internal message with that. And the Buddha was generally speaking with, with some profundity. I don't think it was just having a lot of friends around you, physical people. But it's also entering the field of the Kalyanamita, remembering the awakened ones, remembering the good examples, remembering what they, how we felt with them, how we felt loved or received or encouraged or straightened, you know, brought to our senses with that, you remembering it frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Said so someone who'd called us this will make much of their development. They will make much of the development. And the development is based upon viveka, disengagement, Viraga, dispassion, niroda, ceasing, the resting, the evaporation of these afflictive patterns, compulsions, or saga, the relinquishment of the sense of I am this, I'm not this, I'm in this, I'm out of this, any of that. So whenever these, this is what our relinquishing is, that there's no one to get enlightened, there's no one deluded but there are these powerful forms of energies that keep filling the screen and encouragement is to not so much to become wiser but just to stop cultivating ignorance yeah. it's uh, attaching grasping so then freedom's what's left when we when we pause from the obsessive and compulsive habits, freedom's what's there when we pause for a moment from the compulsions of self. Or denial of self, any of that that happens around that. When we pause from that for a moment, freedom is there. If we keep that, coming back to that, pausing, opening, we find the balance and trying to maintain that delicate balance, doing the work that keeps acknowledging the off-balances, releasing and coming back to centre. This is the ongoing cultivation of the Dhamma life. <laughs>